the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. <laughs> Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Ely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to uh, part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. And joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you as well. Thank you, Tom. And uh, best-selling author and uh, recent guest, Gerald Everett Jones, is joining the uh, roundtable this week. And, Gerald, I got you again. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I, 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 I need a, a active uh, mentoring and my wrist slapped uh, as appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's usually Henry will, you know, we'll, we'll be about a minute out and, and Henry will take over the floor and he'll get talking for a while and I end up having to cut him off to go to break. <laughs> and, and sometimes because I get caught up in what people are saying and I'm not paying attention to the clock like I'm supposed to, but... Uh, and that was the case just before we uh, broke at the end of the first half. Well, that's um, a good sign. Yeah, and, that's a good sign. <laughs> You're and, focused. And, um, and and we'll we'll stay in Lansing just a, a bit longer. The Michigan Attorney General is now involved in a criminal investigation involving former State House Speaker Lee Chatfield and allegations that he sexually assaulted his brother's wife. A spokeswoman for Attorney General Dana Nessel confirmed the office's uh, involvement in a brief statement late Monday, providing few additional details. Should the uh, state attorney general's office take part in the early phases of this investigation? Hmm. Uh, it would appear political then. I think yeah. they need to let it come from other sources and let it... I was thinking maybe waiting until the prosecution before, you know, jumping in. Um, I can see them playing a role in a, in a prosecution if it gets to that point. Um, but it just seemed um, like the attorney general's office was, was kind of quick to jump into the investigation in the Oxford shooting. And now this... Uh, this deal with Lee Chatfield, and especially the deal with Lee Chatfield, because it is so political. Right. Yeah. No. It it it, it has a it has a bad look to it, and she certainly could have waited for the local officials to take action first. I think. Yeah. Until, yeah, until it, charges are being filed. Right. Yes, and I'm not so sure how relevant this is. This may have been when they were teenagers. It may be. Uh, 
when when the brother was divorced from his spouse or whatever. I just don't have enough data. Well, there's no statute of limitations on scandal. I, yeah, and I always, I always wonder, what what is it we're being distracted from? I mean, I think back yeah. to, like, you know, Elliot Spitzer in New York, and Grant, granted, uh, apparently he did step over the line and, and uh, perhaps deserve what he got, but this was right about the time that he was going to do a lot of reforms on Wall Street, so yeah. Uh, yeah. What, 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 who's making us follow that ball and why? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good uh, a good question, and it's you know troubling to me. I I, I couldn't help wondering. We first talked about this when uh, uh, the state police started investigating uh, Lee Chatfield, who was term limited out, left uh, the state house um, after uh, being speaker of the uh, state house here in Michigan, and. I got thinking maybe he was looking at a run for something. You know, the state yeah. senate or maybe a statewide office and uh and and you know, as Gerald suggests, um this this investigation into some sort of a sexual related relationship with uh his brother's wife. Um is 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 meant to steer him off the path yeah you kind of wonder would, would, would he have been in line to join the uh the baker's dozen of folks who were running for governor this year you know well yeah, exactly possibility um a michigan gun rights group says the state's top republican is giving in to the demands of democrats who are calling for stricter gun laws mike shirky bowing down to the demands of anti-gun Senate Democrats while letting pro-gun bills languish in his chamber is completely uncalled for and an affront to law-abiding Michiganders, said Brendan Boudreaux, executive director of Great uh, Great Lakes Gun Rights, the Michigan nonprofit and affiliate of the National Association for Gun Rights. Republican Senate uh, Majority Leader Mike Shirky, a Republican from Clark Lake, promised Senate Democrats in 2019 that red flag gun bills would get a committee hearing. Almost three years later, Shirky and Democrats are saying a committee hearing on the bills will happen soon. It's still unclear whether leadership will hold a vote to advance the measures. Um, I got, I was I started getting emails from conservative groups saying that uh, Mike Shirky had uh, abandoned the Republicans and he was leaving the Republican Party and all kinds of oh. crazy stuff. Um, and and I couldn't help wondering if Senate Majority Leader Shirky is allowing these hearings just for show with no intention of actually putting them out on the floor. Yeah, that could be. You know, yeah. <clears throat> you have to have a strategy of survival when you're at those, uh, at the pinnacles of power. You can't just be doofus. you got to have some ability to let tell people sometimes what they want to hear. And you know it's not possible, but you got to save the flow, plug the dam. Although, actually, some of those red flag laws are hardly draconian limits on 
gun ownership. I know the the pro-gun folks are opposed to them, but still it's not exactly a dramatic limitation on gun rights. But, but we've had so many killings uh, due to guns. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. I mean, I, I think uh, people are beginning to think about that. Yeah, and the Oxford case would yeah. seem to fit that pretty well. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that Kids, family yeah. and that kid would yeah. certainly, from my perspective at least, would qualify as a, a red flag situation. Until we can come up with some favorable solution that fits uh, the mindset of all, uh, we're going to have this kind of struggle um, back and forth. But we don't. There are many people who feel that guns are um, the much of the problem for the death that we see in the, the United States. You make it to the point where the only practical way to do it is is to um, is to regulate ammunition, which <laughs> would make some of those semi-automatic weapons absolutely useless. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can have all the guns you want, but no ammunition. Right, right, fine. You yeah. can have all these toys. You can show them off at parties, and yeah. you know, uh, but you're not you're not going to be able to take your teenager out to the shooting range. I mean, these ten year olds that are shooting off semi-automatic weapons. I mean, I, I yeah, I I just don't understand. I don't understand why a private citizen has to have a flamethrower or a bazooka. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cute. Oh, I I had a friend. He was really kind of an interesting character, um, sort of passive aggressive. He he was a hippie, but he was a gun collector. And and when you said that just now, Gerald, I could I could hear his voice saying, "Well, they are cool." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I've 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 fired a, a gun. I won't say that. Uh, uh, they've been necessarily very high powered, but you know, yeah, of course it's a kick yeah. to have that kind of power in your hands, and uh, and I can understand uh, the, the rec- I mean, I, you know, when I was a kid, we used to get lessons from my grandfather hunting and such, and I'm not necessarily proud of it, but uh, I I can certainly uh, understand that side of things, but uh, it, it, it's just gotten to the point of, you know, when we've got more guns than people. Uh, loose in the society, uh, something is really very wrong. And it's become so politicized. I mean, I, I can again, as I, I can recall as a kid, you know, you know, you'd go out hunting and people had guns, and but it was not a a Republican Democrat thing. It wasn't even a hot button issue. Uh, and, and and there weren't it didn't seem like there were anywhere near the kind of shootings you see now at shopping malls and schools and everywhere else. But now it's become such a partisan issue. That uh, it, uh, it it's a very strange reaction we have in this country, and the kind when we kind of deify guns. Well, we have a very different um, uh, border uh, here in in Michigan with another country, Canada. Um, a couple of bridges. Um, oh yeah. And and uh, so our our border problems tend to be very different than the ones they might experience down in California, Gerald. But we've got there's a Canadian protest going on right now where they've blocked both uh, both bridges from Canada into the United States uh, through Michigan. Um, with trucks over um, uh, federal vaccine requirements. Um, 
and and I'm not sure all the particulars. I know um, Paul had had put the the issue on a uh, uh, list of bullet points he sent over yesterday with his his Tuesday email. Um, and he always says, and whatever happens in the next 24 hours, well, it has become untenable. It in, has, In yeah, the last 24 hours. Apparently just, the Ambassador Bridge is just clogged. And I've heard that the uh, the Blue Water Bridge from uh, it's, the, it, uh, Port Huron is also getting backed yeah. up with trucks, too. But, but the real issue there is that the president of Canada says that <coughs> mask works. And he holds all of the authority. He has to change that position because he's the chief spokesman for Canada. And uh, he, if he says you you don't come into this country without being masked or without being inoculated, or, then you don't because that's law. Seems like a very surprising thing to take place in Canada. Maybe our maybe yeah. we have the stereotype of Canada as being this nice, polite country, but this kind of a protest seems like a, a very, un, very very un-Canadian kind of thing to, to happen in, in Ottawa. Yeah, but you know, when Tom was talking about the differences between, you know, California border issues and, and Michigan, you know, when I lived in Detroit, I worked in the graphics industry, and uh, I had to go across to Windsor a few times, and, you know, the, th the thing that really got the Border Patrol all excited was, do you have printed matter in, in your trunk? You know, because <laughs> ca the Canadians are, are do an awful lot of four-color printing and cheaper than, than the Americans do, you know, high quality. And, you know, it, it, it does seem as though it's going to, if it's happening between Michigan and Canada, it is about commerce. It's about the flow of money. And so if the truckers, you know, somehow feel as though their, um, their, uh, their, their ability to, uh, to move uh, back and forth is being restricted, then I can see how it be, would become a major issue. Yeah, but we have to be cautious with uh, Canada because those are international issues and Michigan is not the only one that played ball with Canada. It's the whole country. Although, although one funny thing I've heard is that 90% of the Canadian truckers are already vaccinated anyhow, so it's a little surprising in terms of the nature of the But it's the Americans, I think. I it think may be. It may be, yeah. yeah. Americans. They said, hell no, they are not getting... But the bulk of the protest is on the Canadian side. And yeah, it's on the Canadian and, side. And I'm it. with Paul. I'm, You know, it's, it's a little perplexing because... Uh, um, Canadians, by and large, are more likely to be vaccinated and yeah. uh, to wear masks, and they're also less likely to demonstrate in this way. Yeah. Some of the American yeah. uh, truck yeah, drivers. Yeah, some of the Americans who make all this kind of noise for overall kind of issues. It's it's, it's a very un-Canadian kind of protest in some ways. Uh, well, before somebody starts to talk, and I have to cut them off, we have a break coming up in just a minute, and we'll move on to some things from Washington uh, when Armchair Politics continues on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Gerald Everett Jones. We'll, be, uh, we'll let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well.
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on uh, today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Gerald Everett Jones. Um, President Joe Biden can point to a string of positive developments for his administration this week for the first time in quite a while. But he will need, at the very least, many more weeks like this to reverse his political fortunes ahead of the midterms. Um, Some examples, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported on Friday that the U.S. economy had added 467,000 jobs in January, well above what had been forecast. Uh, COVID-19 cases nationally are down 38% from last week, according to Johns Hopkins University while hospitalizations are down 16%, deaths were 7% higher, but there are signs that number is plateauing. Um, A successful U.S. counterterrorism raid in Syria that was months in the making resulted in the death of a top ISIS leader. And on top of all of that, Biden kick-started the process of filling the upcoming vacancy on the Supreme Court. How much impact will the president's approval rating really have on the midterm elections? Hmm. Well, I think it'll have some real effect. Like I said, I think historically, though, even with a popular president, most of the most of the time, the party in the White House tends to lose thirty seats in the U.S. House, and there's a somewhat similar fraction in the in the U.S. Senate. So, as I say, those first midterms after a presidential election are almost always tough on the party in the White House. There have been a couple exceptions in the last 50 years, but not very many. Well, yes, and Biden really is, is when, when you're looking at the successes that he's had, uh, the statistics that you mentioned, those are really successes of Biden as an administrator rather than and as a bureaucrat rather than as a you know, in, inspirational leader. And, and in fact, you could say that at this particular at this particular period in time, what we really need is a is is a, is a capable administrator. But you know, when people go to the polls, you know, it was back. You know, the whole G.W. Bush thing about you know, would you want to have who would you want to have a beer with? Okay, uh, I I don't think anybody's thinking about you know kicking back and putting their feet up with you know with Uncle Joe. So it it it's a it's a problem perception for sure, and it's too bad. You could say that it's too bad that. Um, uh, substantive politics uh, aren't more um, on people's minds. I would say if we're talking about substantive politics in this um, uh, election year, the um, the inflation rate will probably be the most crucial economic uh, factor. And, and actually, that's as a result of pumping the money into the economy to the extent that they did, which is one of the reasons that uh, we, we've had... Um, uh, better than uh, expected uh, performance, both the stock market and the employment market. Yeah, but you know, I, I, the idea that we we have uh, accrued all of those jobs over the past is the inflation that's going to be his detriment. Yeah, I and I'm thinking too that if come the fall election, if the pandemic really does stay receded. 
that I think people are going to be in a far better mood anyhow. Even, you know, there'll be inflation, there'll be other issues, but I think the pandemic is still the overriding issue. And if that has at least is is moderated or seems on on the way to receding entirely, that's going to be a big plus. And uh, most, and I reported this out last week that I had read that some governors have met and they said it's time to put the pandemic behind us. And uh, yeah, they're they're dropping mask mandates in a number of number of states already. Yeah, and that's true in Europe as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just I've seen pundits sort of hinting and and we see this um every time the midterms roll around where they start talking about the popularity of the president and if he's doing well then you know he can he can help keep democrats in the majority um you know through the midterms but if he's not doing well it's liable to flip and as paul pointed out typically it flips regardless of the president's approval rating. Mm-hmm. Or who's true. in power. Or who's in power. I, I think, uh, as I recall, I think in the last roughly 50 years, there have only been three times when the party in the White House has gained seats in the first midterm election. Every other time they've lost seats, and I think the average is around 30. Well, let's, let's see. Uh, several establishment Republicans, including uh, 2012 presidential nominee Mitt Romney, are publicly criticizing their party's decision to censure GOP representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger over their service on the House Select Committee investing the Janu- investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, the criticism underlines the uh, ongoing intraparty feud between loyalists to former President Donald Trump and some elements of the Republican establishment that continue to push back against his de facto leadership of the party. Is this censure by the GOP and the reaction of many of its members um, weakening the party at all? No, and this is this is my point that I've uh, held uh, for many months now. Uh, the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are dominant entities in this country. No one person, no one person, not even a former president, speaks for the people. Only the president of the United States. And uh, I think... The Republican Party is demonstrated as dominant, which it must be. It, although it, it, it came out to support the, the former president, uh, but it, it made it known that the Republican Party is here and is established on its own, and it exists on its own. You know, I'm wondering, are you, let me ask maybe Henry here especially, do you think you're seeing a little bit of some of the Republican Party very gradually beginning to turn on Trump? I'm thinking of what Mike Pence did recently and, uh, and a few others who are in the leadership who gradually are starting to take shots at Trump that they, that they were unwilling to do before. I mean, it's very hesitant and very, very cautious, obviously, but are you gradually seeing an, an erosion of the Trump support among some of the uh, 
I suppose, mainline Republicans. But, you know, I, I think the Republican Party, like many Democrats, are afraid of the divisions in the country, the racial divisions, the uh, divisions of money, the, you know, big corporations uh, influencing the country. They're afraid of that stuff. And we don't know where we're going. We don't have a solid platform to stand on so we can see um, see uh, the system of government clearly and exactly. Nobody has, not even the Republicans or the Democrats. Is the real test uh, is the real test of that question, Paul, um, about uh, Donald Trump's uh, support eroding? Um, going to be tested on the battlefield in midterm uh, primaries? I think so. I mean, I think we'll have to see how, how many of the, the, the candidates endorsed by Trump will survive and succeed this, this, this coming year. I think well, there's a lot of talk about uh, a, a cult of personality, but, you know, when you really get down to it, not only in the United States, but also in other countries uh, in, in, in Europe, and also uh, I lived in Africa for a while, and I saw there is a groundswell of em- embracing author- uh, embracing autocracy because it somehow is thought to get the job done, especially when you've got people who are fearful about how things are going, uh, yeah. fearful about the, about their welfare. And, you know, when when dictators come to power, it's because people are willing to give them power because they're afraid for themselves. They're afraid for their safety. They're afraid for their uh, the value of their money. For example, if there's a hy- hyperinflation, as happened right before World War II, uh, you know, the, the German uh, money was right. worth almost nothing. And it was like uh, early days of, of of Hitler, I mean, he only got in with whatever it was, thirty-three percent of the vote. The thing was that it was it was the, it was the old joke about the trains are going to run on time, and you know you you see the same kind of thing sh- uh, shaping up here. Is is, is this anger, and yeah. whether it's misplaced or not, that's really what you know may fund uh, political movements. And you know, it, it's it, Putin has been singing this song about democracy is so over. And it's so inefficient, and it's uh, it, it's outdated, and uh, uh, you know he's certainly proven that uh, autocracy is one way to get his country in line. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. I think the the dysfunction of, of existing governments, whether Republican or Democrat, feeds into that autocratic modes. And, and you're exactly right; okay. you're seeing it all around the world. Yeah, simple solutions. It's easy to vote for simple solutions, and you think, okay, you know, this band-aid's going to fix it. You know, let let us let us uh, let us have our guns, or let us, uh, you know. I mean, I I was raised a Southern Baptist, okay, and I I I don't I don't remember politics ever being discussed in our church, okay. And it's only been in you know recent years that you know we've got these issues of of um, gay marriage and uh, abortion and uh, you know the and granted these are important moral questions but is this is this a question that really fundamentally affects whether people can be safe and whether they can eat the answer is no they've been political distractions good point 
Well, the U.S. government will protect American athletes participating in the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing and their freedom of speech. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas-Greenfield affirmed on Sunday. Asked if American athletes are in danger, she said, we would hope that the Chinese would not take any actions, adding that the Biden administration's goal is to make sure they are safe. Thomas Greenfield's uh, comments come amid concern for U.S. athletes who may speak out against human rights abuses from China. The U.S. has said China is committing genocide and crimes against humanity against uh, Uyghurs and um, a mostly Muslim ethnic and religious minority group who live in the northwestern region of Xinjiang. Should U.S. Olympic athletes be discouraged from making statements that could interfere with American-Chinese relations and diplomacy? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you know, and it's it's been shown or demonstrated that the Chinese people are, and I believe the rule that you're referring to is Rule 48, and that was passed in 1972 after the two black athletes raised their hands in in defiance and in victory. And the Olympic Committee soon after that made that illegal. And so it's the Chinese who's made it most favorable uh, to applying that rule at the Olympics. And I think they really need to be cool while we're there, all athletes. No matter who they are. Difficult to expect athletes to be briefed on or appreciate the finer points of of foreign policy when I think people in the State Department don't even understand them. Well, (laughs) that's and that's that's a good point, Gerald. But I I I wonder if it shouldn't be. uh, I I don't know. I I'm just I'm one of those people who. I, I really don't want basketball players and rock and roll singers uh, um, handling foreign policy. Well, you're always at risk when you're traveling overseas and telling people what to do. That's kind of the stereotype of ugly American is, you know, they come yeah. in and they throw their weight around. Yeah. In fact, yeah. saying that may actually encourage people to, to do the exact opposite sometimes. Yeah. So. Like I said, when I lived in Africa, you know, white people showing up and telling people what to do there is kind of so yesterday. Well, and it's getting to the point now where you can't really even do that on your own block. (laughs) (laughs) You try and and go across the street and tell somebody what to do, they're liable to open fire on you. Yeah, I hope that the athletes, the American athletes are getting some good uh, advice from uh, people who... Uh, care for their safety and hope to expand American uh, military and social practices, whatever it is. You have to believe they're getting some briefings, but but I doubt that the content of those briefings is going to be shared with the public. Probably not, yeah. Yeah, I I would hope the coaches would uh, be talking to some of the athletes and you know, encouraging them to pay a little bit more attention to their routines. Have there been any outbursts of any <laughs> kind? Of, 
I'm try, I was trying to think of it. Have, has anybody said anything or done anything no, that was not, yet. not that I unless I <laughs> you know I. I've seen bits and pieces of the Olympics on last week or so, but I can't say I've seen anything. The, the well, biggest there's likely thing to be solidarity with this tennis player, you know. That's the, what I that's was. true. I was just going to point to that it's, as well. It's pretty Jared. clear that she's been intimidated and brought back inside the Chinese tent, and yeah. I, you know she's not likely to say much. And the fa- the fact that she's not saying much is simply causing people on the, uh, on the American side to scream, you know, she must be being muzzled, and it's actually causing her story to be told and retold. So it's a, it's a super sensitive issue, but it's so strange that the Chinese are having the kind of scandals, you know, having a Cuomo-style scandal in Beijing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Russian President Vladimir Putin has now assembled 70% of the military personnel and weapons on Ukraine's borders he would need for a full-scale invasion of the country, according to two U.S. officials familiar with the latest estimates. U.S. officials publicly and privately still say they do not know if Putin has made a final decision on any type of military action, but behind the scenes, President Joe Biden's national security and intelligence teams are calculating various scenarios and the potential outcomes. Uh, it, it seems like in the last uh, 24 hours that uh, that there seems to be a little bit of easing um, on that, but how far should the U.S. go to defend Ukraine's sovereignty? Well, what Biden has threatened has been what what amounts to um, cyber war, and we've we've really got to do that very carefully because, as our intelligence uh, experts will tell us, we're much more vulnerable to cyber attack uh, than 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 the Russians are. Or we're the Chinese. Good, we're very good at attacking. We're not very good at defending because you know, we just have an open yeah. system. But you notice the headline this morning was that Putin and, and his G of, uh, of, of China were shaking hands. And I would venture to say that that's a chess move on Putin's part to counter the threat of American sanctions on semiconductors. It's like, okay, we'll buy them from China. And China's go, oh, we'll sell them to you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Say, but, you know, a- uh, the Russians, guys, they can't, they have to save face. They've moved those 100 battalions, or however many, but there are a lot of battalions that they moved and surrounded um, the country. And uh, if he just walks away, uh, I believe he, he will feel that he's defeated. I don't see this uh, being uh, reconciled As I say, by is, is, a is lack there, of inaction. Is there any kind of diplomatic uh, resolution that's possible? I mean, would there be anything that, you know, if, if there is about NATO that could, that could pull, pull it back? If there is, it seems to be coming from France of all places. That's right, yeah. I think what Putin really wants in this whole game is relaxation of the older sanctions, and you can, and especially, he would love to be able to uh, uh, apply fracking technology in Siberia, which he's actually banned from doing because Exxon's got the technology and they're forbidden from dealing with them. Um, you know, Putin's really about two things, oil and gas 
and sea lanes. And it, it, we have to remember that Putin's father was a submariner. And, uh, and one of the reasons for their taking the Crimea, which was really not publicized at all, was that right there at the tip of the Crimea, Sebastopol, the second biggest sub-base in, oh, in, right. in yeah. Russia. You've got Sebastopol on the west and you've got Vladivostok on the east. I don't care who would be running the Russian government, they're not going to let insurgents take over a sub-base of nuclear weapons. Yeah. Yeah, there is a critical moment. And we have to be cautious how Americans react to all of this. Because I don't think, I think the Russians feel that if we do anything that would encourage them to move in or to fire uh, some of their guns this way, they will do it. Because they boast of all of their military might. Of course, we do too, but uh, once you become engaged in war, you can never predict a, a winner. So. Yeah, it could, it could be an extremely messy proposition if it goes yes. to a full military conflict. Yeah. I, I do think that he's he's waiting for the day when he, I mean, if, if you really want to take a Cold War scenario, that he's that he could launch a really major cyber attack against the United States. And, you know, if he if he disables our, our, our ATMs, our food delivery or you know we, we, we end up with with chaos in this country especially with you know people fighting each other for you know stuff in the bread line and uh you know you just you basically watch the country fall apart and then you just walk in he doesn't have to use any yeah. nuclear weapons yeah you're seeing a little bit of that with the pandemic now with all you know the various shortages and exactly labor, and and labor, and, yeah. and you, you got to wonder to what extent? I mean, I I really do think that uh, our government has not told us to what extent we have been manipulated in, in, in what you would call social engineering, not just a matter of rumors and disinformation, but in very fundamental ways in terms of of of, of making this divide between our 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 parties. Not not only severe from the standpoint of debate, but from the sense from standpoint of actually potential for armed conflict, that 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 plays right into Putin's agenda. He can point to us and say, you know, see, they're no different from everybody else. You know, their their system's not working. And yeah. you know, as as patriots, we have to, tell, to say to ourselves, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, <laughs> this is like Churchill said: it's, it's the worst situations, worst systems everyone tried, except for everything else. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Gerald, yeah. how do you, how how do you know, for, with a high degree of certainty, that the Russians have a lot more capacity to interrupt our cyber systems? Well, there is a book. In, uh, there's a book by the uh, uh, the guy who was intelligence chief in um, Clark, uh, and actually it goes back uh, several years. But um, he he argues from a technical standpoint is you know the internet was created originally to be an open system. It was for scientific research, yeah. Yeah. and uh, we've the the security that's been added to it i mean nobody ever in the beginning of the internet thought we'd be doing our banking that we'd we'd be controlling uh uh dams and and river flows and 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 truck logistics with gps and all all this you know all in the same system and we really don't have uh what we, our our vulnerabilities are absolutely gaping 
and they've been proved over and over. And part of it has to do with the fact is that we're an open system and we're proud of it. In in the, in, the, in China, you notice how they absolutely control the internet, and um, so part of it has to do with the fact that we're an open democratic society. I'm going to have to cut in. Going to have to cut away for a break. We'll be back with uh, the X Files right after this. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello! I'm Maestro Ricky Magazine. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Whiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Meet Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? 
She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have them. Yes, one. speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. I Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics with our segment known as The X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that don't seem like they're true, but they are. Like, apparently, the answer to why did the chicken cross the road is to get to the Pentagon. A one... <laughs> <laughs> A wandering chicken was caught sneaking around a security area at the Pentagon, a local animal welfare organization said. The loose hen was found early Monday morning near the U.S. Department of Defense headquarters. The Animal Welfare League of Arlington, Virginia, wrote on social media the chicken was taken into custody by one of the league's employees. <laughs> Chelsea Jones, a spokesperson for the organization, said in an email that she couldn't reveal the precise location where the bird was spotted. It's also unclear where the chicken came from or how she got to the Pentagon. The hen, which has uh, brown feathers and a red comb and waddles, is a Rhode Island red. Jones described the bird as sweet and nervous, but said she has allowed some people to pet her. She's now known as Henny Penny, one of the names given to the chicken that thinks the sky is falling in a uh, folktale. Jones said Henny Penny is being adopted by a staff member who has a small farm in West Virginia. Can chickens in the Pentagon keep foxes out of the hen house? <laughs> Let's hope so, yeah. I'm not sure that's a good, the, the best defense strategy, though. She'd better not have an embedded eavesdropping device. <laughs> that's right. That's right, yeah. Uh, well, all of the... Uh, all of the X Files this week have to do with uh, with birds. A um, a thieving parrot offered a remarkable bird's eye view of a national park in New Zealand after picking up a GoPro camera and flying off. <laughs> a, f- a family were having a rest during a trek when the parrot was filmed swooping down, picking up the device, and making a swift getaway. The camera kept on filming as the bird flew high over, uh, or high above, rather, the tree-covered hills of the Fjordland National Park in Tanau. The feathered fiend was a uh, Kia parrot, 
um, a species which is native to the park and known for its curiosity. After the brief aerial tour, it placed the camera down on the ground and gave it a close inspection before losing interest and flying off. A young boy then shouted, found it, as he came to collect the borrowed camera. Do you think this parrot believes that a picture is worth a thousand words? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. I got time for one more. Better um, than a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Peacocks could be on the outs in some South Florida neighborhoods after the Miami-Dade Commission agreed to loosen a law protecting the birds. While the 20-year-old law still protects peacocks from harm, commissioners agreed Tuesday to allow cities to opt out if they present appropriate plans to humanely remove the divisive birds from areas where they're not wanted, the Miami Herald reported. Neighbors often clash over the peacocks. Some love the colorful birds, while others complain of droppings, noise, and the damage they cause by roosting on cars or houses. Non-native species have a tendency to wear out their welcome in sunny Florida, where the State Wildlife Commission has encouraged the killing of iguanas and Burmese pythons. Mm -hmm. State laws on na uh, non-native species prevent them from being released back into the wild. However, and many sanctuaries won't take them. We searched statewide for a sanctuary or zoo that would accept them, said Assistant Director Kathy Labreda. The alternative is humane euthanasia. Rigaldo initially tried to repeal the ordinance entirely, um, but other commissioners resisted uh, to avoid killing the birds, the uh, Herald reported. Commissioners finally agreed 5-4 to four to water down the law, allowing cities to opt out after submit, submitting peafowl mitigation plans. Do you think that NBC might be interested in taking the peacocks and establishing a preserve <laughs> yeah, for their could, historic mascots? Yeah. They could have a peacock zoo at the NBC studios someplace, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think kids, uh, kids in school districts would love to have those birds. Yeah, they, that's you true. Know, that's their true. behavior and their colorful character. Kids would love those birds. Well, that wraps well, it up. Well, it's unfortunate because their, their status... Uh, if, if they're not indigenous, then their status is by definition of their pets. And, you know, we, sh <clears throat> we should actually have, you know, the laws, if I, which I assume are in place, of, of wild animals not being able to be uh, kept as pets. It seems yes. like Florida has got, uh, I mean, you know, flamingos, for example, don't, <laughs> don't belong anywhere in uh, North America. And yet, uh, you know, you've got hotels that have got them floating around in front. So uh, yeah. it's, tra it's tragic that people think of them as objects and not as um, as, as fellow beings. Well, that wraps it up for uh, this week's edition of the X-Files on uh, Armchair Politics. And that's the final segment uh, of, of the show today. We have about, uh, oh, three and a half minutes left if anybody has any final thoughts. I want to thank uh, Gerald for being a guest today. He was very informative. Oh, Henry, thank you so much. Oh, I, I agree with so entirely. It's, 
had a lot of both Paul and me to be better than we would otherwise be. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate your insights, Gerald. Very, very, very useful in many ways. Well, by by the way, that book is Cyber War by Richard A. Clark, who was a, a intelligence guru inside the White House for several administrations. Cyber that War raises some serious issues. That's a, it's not like an yeah, important book to take. A it's look worrisome. At. It really is. It and, really is. And, yeah. uh, and and we the public does not know a lot about it, except from the standpoint of you know famous it, uh, cases of hacking, but actually vulnerability. Uh, in the case of cyber war, I mean, I think everybody in the defense establishment understands that nuclear weapons are just, you know, useless. You don't destroy what the target that you know, you're going to walk into. You well, the first, the first half of the uh, Mueller report is um, it, it's just amazing at how uh, thoroughly and easily um, Americans uh, can be manipulated by uh, technology and social media. And it yeah. really doesn't talk about the consequences. It, it, simply, it simply states that it was done. And, and we've had a few examples here or there where oil lines were shut down, things like that. You know, just a slight taste of what could, could happen in the worst-case scenario. But, you know, the problem I don't see is how Americans can be subdued by the might of other countries when most of this stuff is developed here in this country. Does any, anybody remember when uh, just a few weeks ago, or maybe maybe a few months ago, when Facebook went down for about eight or That's ten hours? Right. And boy, you you'd think that uh, that the country's whole infrastructure had just grown <laughs> to a halt. There was a time we lived without Facebook. That's right. And and I felt it too, as much as I, you know. Oh as, yeah, yeah. As, I, I know what you're saying. As much as I make fun of this stuff, I, you know, if my if my internet goes down or if uh, you know Facebook is jammed up, you know, for any period of time, um, you know, I, it's it's like leaving my cell phone at home. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, but it's time to take a deep breath. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm relax. Well, hey, it's uh, it's it's time to uh, start closing things up, and I, I want to say uh, thanks again to um, our guest at the roundtable, Gerald uh, Gerald Everett Jones, author, uh, award-winning uh, mystery thriller author, and uh, the author of a new book called um, Preacher Raises the Dead, and he was just a guest on the show recently. We talked about that book. Um, but Gerald, thanks so much for being part of this. Oh, I, thank you guys. You're I, I hope, very generous. Great to have you here. I, I hope thank you'll you. want to come back and and do it again. <laughs> the token progressive, sure. Why not? The, well, the the <laughs> first time is always a little bit unusual, but we find that well, people happy from, to be in the barrel town, really. Well, people find from uh, from other states they they tend to enjoy Flint politics. <laughs> it, it, it has some interesting uh, elements. And, of course, I, I have to say thank you to uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. You bet. Good to be here. Have a good evening. Hurry back, Daryl. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. All right. And that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show. 
and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.